This is the Annex, a sociology podcast. I'm Joseph Cohn from the City University of New York, Queens College. I'm Leslie Hinkson from Georgetown University. I'm Jean Beeman from Purdue University. Our guest is Margaret Hagerman from Mississippi State. Today, what should we do about the college admissions scandal? Our discussion was recorded on March 27th, 2019. So I recently read a short piece in Inside Higher Ed about Stephen Mintz. He's a legal scholar from UT Austin, and he was talking about our response to the college admissions scandal. Uh, For those of you who haven't heard, there was a scandal a few weeks ago in which a network of parents were discovered to have used bribery, fake athletic credentials, SAT cheating, and other tactics to get their kids into selective colleges. Uh, We did a segment on it. You can find it on our website, sociocast.org slash annex. And if you listen to the segment, our reaction was mostly like, what, you didn't know this was going on? You should see what the really rich people are doing. (laughs) So in this piece, Mint asks, like, like, that's what we did. And that was the the extent that anybody did from it. And Mintz is like, are we going to be doing anything about this? So he writes, like, why is there no talk of ending legacy? Why not spend more money to admit underprivileged students or create a repository of instructional tools or, or, or you know, that uh, people of limited means can use or dramatically increasing enrollment? And he says, listen, ultimately, the, the answers are self-evident. These institutions want to serve a small, exclusive circle of elites. They don't care about social responsibility that much. And they want as much money as humanly possible. They can have billions in the bank. They want and they want those new revenue streams. What's your reaction? Like, mm. should we do anything? Should is anything? Well, it looks like nothing's going to be done. Should we do anything? So here's the thing, right? So I so I, there are two things that I have to say about legacy, mm. right? I mean, not all legacies are 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 created equally, right? Mm. It's one thing to say we should do away with legacies where, you know, there've been these people who have been here since the freaking Mayflower, mm. right? And you know, and have had wealth since then. And someone who's like, oh, yeah, I'm the child of a first-generation college student who happened to come to this institution. Mm. We have not accrued any wealth yet, right? right. Um, but, we're try- but we're trying to get there. I mean, legacies can be used as a tool for generational mobility. So this idea that all legacies are created the same, mm. I think that's bullshit. That's overly simplistic. Um, so that's number one. But then number two, and I keep saying this over and over again, one of the reasons why you have legacies isn't just because you're like, oh, we want to serve an elite and we want to serve this elite and we want that to be our primary clientele. That's part of it. But it's also because you serve that clientele, people want to be at your institution. Mm -hmm. And that includes wannabe elites. That includes people who don't even know who the elite are, but are like, oh, this is a great institution, according to U.S. News and World Report, Mm. right? And those elites bring with them money, right? And, and, you know, and network connections that can actually be used to help facilitate social mobility for those students that you're like, okay, we got room at the end end for you, all right? (laughs) So come on in. What do you guys think? What's to be done? Should should we be doing anything about this college admissions scandal? Is there anything to do? I guess, so when you say we, do you mean we as 
university professors, we as overeducated people? I mean, what are you like? Oh, good question. How about we? How, how about both? Uh, what should uh, those who? Uh, what should elite schools do, and what should everybody else do? Should anybody do anything? Oh, and time out, and and time out, and also before you answer that question, mm-hmm. like my question is, why should we do anything about it, right? Yeah. Because mm-hmm. here's the thing: I kind of feel like this idea that we need this intervention yeah. is all premised on this notion that there we we are this thing called merit a meritocracy. Mm-hmm. Which is which is a notion that was put forth in like a dystopian novel by a British sociologist, right? What fifty years ago? So well, so so should we do anything? Should we even care? Um, I I think uh, I think that I think we should care only to the extent that we continue to push push this notion onto our children that the college admissions process is this pure quote unquote meritocracy that is based on these like very transparent like bo- like boxes that you need to check and if you check those boxes then you're going to get in and if you don't get in then that just means you know someone did you dirty mm. Well, it's not just that we're sending, it's not just a message that we're giving to our children, though. It's also like we're signaling that to one another as adults. I mean, so. Yeah. So what do you think, Jean? What's the appropriate, uh, what's the appropriate response in your books by anybody? I, I really go back and forth about this because, again, like, I, you know, I agree with what your all's original take was, a sort of like, you know, I'm surprised there's gambling in here kind of response, right? Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, what you actually do to that it's like you'd have to sort of dismantle the whole admission system, which is, uh, you know, a sort of combination of a variety of different reasons that people actually get into uh, universities, which I guess, you know, like, so I think I would critique that in the context of critiquing the whole admissions process more generally. Um, I mean, I think, yeah, but I mean, I, you know, maybe I'm being cynical, but I don't know if I feel like this, this scandal will lead to any sort of lasting change or discussion, you know, 10, 20 years from now. I mean, I I, I actually think that this scandal just reveals that we're, I really, really, and I I hope I'm not just being like paranoid or overreacting, but I do think that, you know, in like over the past like decade or two, I think the United States has been like on hyperspeed towards this incredibly unequal society. And because we're because we we're seeing this inequality growing at such a rapid pace, I actually think people now think that things that would have been seen as like like, oh, like you just don't do that. That's just not done. I think people now are are thinking, you know what? Like, why isn't it done? Right? So of course, people have known for a very long time, yeah, you know, if you got $20 million, right, you can buy this building and your kid will get into whatever school, mm. right? And, you know, and we knew that it was done, right? Um, but people didn't say, you know what, let me just go and, like, bribe this tennis coach, right? Like, I mean, that's just go. Well, that, that right? Yeah, right. That we know <laughs> of. That we know of. <laughs> No, no, no. But what I'm saying, I mean, I'm sure, I mean, there probably were things, right? But I actually think that, um, I think that the growing inequality in our country, I think, has emboldened people to act in ways um, that, act in ways that signal to, um, to many of us that, like, for the elite or to, or the elite adjacent, right, 
anything goes is now the it's the way of the world now. Maggie, what's your what was your uh, reaction to the college cheating scandal? And uh, did you think any any type of reaction is warranted or? Well, so I have a lot of thoughts about it because it directly relates to my research sure, on yeah. privileged kids and the <laughs> to reproduce that privilege. Um, yeah, so for me, uh, I'm actually, in some ways, it's useful because I've been doing a lot of, um, you know, work with parents and talking to communities of privilege. Uh, and this is a great example of, sh- of sort of showing the extreme, right? That like the difference between what the, the parents that, are implicated in this scandal are doing or did or yeah did um and what goes on with lots of upper middle class you know affluent white families is a difference in degree not in kind you know mm-hmm. and so i think that in some ways this is a this is a powerful example of something that's very you know has been around for a long time and mm-hmm. you know it's, it's a very taken for granted assumption about parenting um you know get the best for your kid no matter what so um so in some ways my reaction has been you know, this is an opportunity to get people to think a little bit more, maybe, about, um, you know, the ways that they secure advantages for their children that reproduce inequality. So, yeah. Maggie, Maggie, will you come to Bethesda to speak <laughs> to uh, our school? Many <laughs> we need yeah. that lecture. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, um, I have been going to some private schools and things like that, and um, it's definitely interesting to engage with those communities. You know, you make an amazing point, though. What's really the difference between the college cheating scandal and somebody who uses their money to buy additional schooling for their kids so they can get into the local university? Right. Well, one is legal and one isn't. (laughs) Right. Yeah, right. But besides that, yeah, you know, my, my reaction was, was should we when we start seeing these elite pedigrees and okay, well, one, we know for a fact that these institutions don't give bad grades once you get in uh well they rarely do at least that was my personal experience i I, I sure do no right (laughs) and so when we see somebody with an elite pedigree like as opposed to being at like a big Mm -hmm. r1 school maybe with more competitive i don't know maybe they went through a more open process or a less corrupt one should we be asking if they're just rich kids who bought their way in should we be should we be red flagging these elite elite degrees now these prestigious degrees and asking if if these kids are really that good or if they were just born rich i don't think so like i i i don't think so joe i mean i i i mean i can tell you uh i won't say all of my students Mm. but the majority of my students work very hard Mm. right they do work very hard does that mean that they did not get help in learning how to work hard Mm -hmm. or in understanding the value of hard work or in being able to just focus on their studies and, you know, and whatever extracurriculars and not having to do chores and not having to work a job to help, you know, pay the bills in their house, mm-hmm. right? Um, you know, I think it's all relative. I think um, the vast majority of the students I teach are are privileged students, mm-hmm. right? But I, of those kids, the vast majority of them don't understand that they've had privilege <laughs> because they're like, I've just been working my whole life. What do you guys think? Should we put a question mark on these, on these elite pedigrees? Put a question mark for what, for what purpose? Like in terms of sort of like, 
considering them for graduate admissions in terms of hiring for example for example right now i think that the i think the working assumption is that if you're sitting across from someone who went to dartmouth or cornell or whatever that they were like the best kids imaginable in the country or the the country's brightest smartest most promising young people when it's quite possible that they their rich parents purchased their way in and that they are more middling than we have previously assumed. Yeah, I guess I'd want to know who still who who has who still has that assumption. But maybe I'm just more cynical. Like I kind of always assume that. But well, I mean, when you're on a grad committee, people there are definitely people on a grad admissions committee who certainly care about pedigree. Yeah, but it's not just right. But in that sense, it's not just sort of where you went to school. It's also sort of the pedigree of the people who are writing your recommendation letters, et cetera, et cetera. So. Fair enough. But do you not think it's also true uh, that this is like part of our discipline, even part of like being an ASA? I mean, people are constantly, you know, like looking at your name tags. Yeah. And what yeah. You, you know, I mean. I it's know. an obsession. You know, there's an interesting uh, sort of an interesting view from outside. I hate to be in Canada because <laughs> I guess that's what I do. But, you know, I, I had friends who uh, – went to medical school or law school in prestigious U.S. universities after they didn't get into the affordable Canadian schools. And there is some perception that those who go to the big money schools for at least these professional degrees uh, are paying for it because they couldn't get in for free. So there's nothing there's nothing intrinsically so awesome about these schools yeah. that like it's an assumption. It's a very culturally specific assumption that like you don't have necessarily if you didn't grow up here. Well, it's I I so I mean I think it's an uh, it's an assumption, but I I think even more than that, I mean certain institutions uh, confer status, right? Mm -hmm. And status need not be directly related to things like quality, <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. Or content. I mean, it's just it's just status, right. like you know a Louis Vuitton bag is in terms of stat, it's like much more of a status symbol than, you know, than I, I don't know, than, uh, than, a, than, I don't know, pick, pick or one, a nine West bag. bag. I don't know what it is. Than a nine, than a nine West bag, right? I mean, you might find the nine West bag, um, more pleasing aesthetically, but it's not going to confer you the same status that a Louis Vuitton bag will, right? And the nine West bag might be more functional anyway. A exactly. Right. And so, you know, I think that what we're grappling with more than anything else here is status, right? And um, and and the fact that we are—I mean, we are a status-obsessed profession, mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah, but it exists because we all let it. Like that's we like it, it exists in our collective imagination, and so because it's not something objective, presumably, if we reached a collective consensus that it was not valuable, it would cease to have value. Well, you know, you, you can go to the evolutionary biologists who say that, no, like status and the the quest for status is like, you know, it's hardwired in us as primates. I don't know. Gene, what were you going to say? Oh, no, I was going to say, I mean, like, but we, I think it's also helpful to keep in mind that like, it, I mean, and that's sort of the inside higher ed piece kind of talks about this, too, is that this the status serves a purpose. It's not just that we all agree on on it it's it's i mean it serves a role so i mean i think even if we agreed that it doesn't we don't want it to serve that role um we need something else to fill that void i don't you know yeah what would that be
You've been listening to The Annex, a sociology podcast. A special thank you to Margaret Hagerman from Mississippi State. Margaret recently published White Kids, Growing Up with Privilege in a Racially Divided America with NYU Press. Also, a special thank you to Gene Beeman for uh, guest hosting. We're on the web, sociocast.org slash annex, on Twitter at Sociannex, and on Facebook, the Annex Sociology Podcast. Our producer is Lisette Moreno. On behalf of Leslie Hinkson and Gene Beeman, I'm Joe Cohen. Thanks for listening.